Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Joanne DiMaggio, and we will be talking about her newest book, I Did It to Myself Again, New Life Between Lives Case Studies Show How Your Soul's Contract is Guiding Your Life. What does it feel like to die? What does the afterlife look like? Who are the Council of elders, and how do they assist in planning your next life? Who are members of your soul family, and what role did they play in your past lives as well as in your current life? What are the karmic issues and attributes you brought into this life? Using past life regression to identify a significant former life followed by an exploration of the afterlife To experience the pre-life planning session for this life, this book answers the most commonly asked questions about death and rebirth. Follow the karmic journey of 25 volunteers as they come to understand their soul's purpose and their role in designing their present life. In thinking about your life, you will discover that you did, indeed, do it to yourself for the greatest reason of all, your soul's growth. For more information, you can visit Joanne's website, which is joannedimaggio.com, and that's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Joanne to the show. Good day, Joanne. Hi, Robert. Good to be here. Thank you. Good to have you back. Um, been almost four years. Uh, mm-hmm. The last time we talked about karma can be a real pain, and, <laughs> yes, and I'm thinking... That's right. I'm thinking right now people are kind of identifying with that too. So, but this is a really yeah. good book. I, I really enjoyed. Um, I always re- enjoy reading your books. They're they're oh, very you. easy to yeah. They're easy to um to understand, to assimilate, and to kind of draw draw references from. So, first of all, um, for listeners who may not know of the idea of life between lives, um, would you mind sharing with them, with us, what um, that's about um, and, you know, what kind of made you or inspired you to do a research project of your own on this topic? Well, I've been doing uh, past life research and therapy for over 30 years. And in the course of that time, I've noticed that there's a tendency among my clients to blame others for their life. In other words, you know, it's my husband's fault, my father's fault, my sister's fault, whatever. Um, yet in, the, in all the studies that I have done, I knew that they were the ones who had carefully planned out their lives in order to correspond to the lessons that their soul needed for growth. So I was hoping that if they saw that for themselves, they'd embrace their life from an entirely different perspective. And then I also wanted to compare 
the research that had already been done with what I had experienced and I had learned over the years because I was finding some discrepancies in my preliminary work. Um, so I wanted to compare what I was reading to what uh, specifically Edgar Casey, um, who, for those of your listeners who don't know, he's the most renowned psychic of the 20th century and the father of holistic medicine. I wanted to see how it compared to what he had to say about the afterlife. So I felt that if I dug a little deeper, that would add a whole new dimension to my work. And then the third reason was I wanted to see if there was a common experience among everybody. Uh, These were all people who did not know each other, um, so they couldn't compare notes coming into the session. I wanted to see if what they were relaying to me about what the afterlife was like, if it was at all similar to what the others in the group said. Wow, yeah, a lot to accomplish in the study. Um, Mm -hmm. So how did you, um, tell us about the participants, you know, kind of how how they came to be, to be your, you know, the, participate in the project? Well, I'm very fortunate in that I have a pretty wide network of uh, like-minded people. Um, through my work with the um, Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment, I've been a part of that organization since 1987, so I've made a lot of uh, friends and colleagues through that group, and also through Unity of Charlottesville, um, where I head up the Unity Holistic Healing Center, I host ARE programs at Unity. And so between the people on my list for ARE and the congregants at Unity, I did not have a problem um, finding volunteers for this particular project. And uh, I, I limited it to 25, although in the book I have used the um, – information from clients that I have seen that were outside of this project who had a a life between life session. So it was really interesting. Most of them were women, 23 were women and only two were men. Um, Their average age was 62 and they came from all walks of life. There were, uh, there was a lawyer, there were writers, there were um, nurses, flight attendants, you know, you name it across the board. Um, all walks of life, and then they regressed to lifetimes that occurred um, over a 2,000-year period. So it was really a fascinating journey for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they have quite a quite an expanse in um, ex- experiences there. So, what? Um, well, with this, you you combined um, the past life regression with a life between lives. So can you tell us um, um, a bit about, because, yeah, tell us a little bit about that and and why that set up. Okay. Um, Well, uh, it was important to do the past life work first because I wanted them to identify the lifetime that they were working on now because we don't, work on all of the issues from our previous lifetimes. We choose only a handful. Edgar Casey would give only, at, at the most, he would give someone four lifetimes that, uh, the, that they were working on. So I wanted them to go to the life that was most impacting them now. In other words, go to the life that you had some issues. Um, maybe somebody did something to you, you did something to them. You might have had a trauma, an illness, or even it could have been something like a, a, where their positive traits came from um, and their skills and their abilities and their talents came from. 
whatever it was that they decided in their life between life session to work on in this life, I wanted them to be able to see that first, identify it, uh, so that they could um, list for me their karmic issues that, that they brought in with them. So, um, and it's, uh, so that part was important. It was also important to have that section where they're um, at the point of death, uh, when I asked them what was the last thoughts your soul had before your uh, before it left the body, because that those thoughts often set up the next lifetime. So I wanted to identify that as well. So we did the regression first. Then I brought them back to their current life in their current body, and then I moved them backwards again through this life into their childhood, back to being a baby, back to being in their mother's womb, and then back out into spirit where they were working with their members of their soul family, the council of elders, their guides to plan the life that they're, that they're living right now. Um, so it was about a three hour session and uh, depending on how much information they were, they were gleaning from the, uh, from the regression and from the uh, life between life session. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of get this, straight as far as process um, the mm-hmm. previous life experience then up to the current then working backwards to determine um, soul groups and reasons so I, I guess my, my thought is, is is that you know the process of going from current backward is that then <clears throat> the, the way that the the work in between the life life between lives um is um kind of brought to the awareness is that the process sure. that brings well, it to awareness yeah the 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 issue here this was one of my biggest challenges because in studying dr michael newton's work um he would go forward he would go from the death uh into the afterlife and then into this life but mm-hmm. that that would only work for me if they were working on issues from the lifetime immediately prior to this one. So in other words, mm. you know, you're di- you lived in the 18th century, you died, you didn't come back till the 20th or 21st century, and so we could go uh, chronologically. We, you know, but I was finding people going back almost 2,000 years. Now, they've had lifetimes between the life that's impacting them now and their current life. So some of them were back... I think I had a, uh, uh, I remember the statistic, I had about 25% of them went to a lifetime that was before the year 1000 A.D. So they've hmm. had lifetimes in between. If I were to go to that lifetime and I'd say, okay, now we're going to go, now you've died in that life, you're going into spirit, now you're planning, your, well, you're not planning your session for a life that begins in 1950. You're, you know, you, um, you've had all these lives in between. So it was important to, to be able to flawlessly enable them to go to the pre-life planning session immediately prior to this life so they can see who who decided to come in with them in, in the current life and they could see what issues they were going to work on. They could define their soul's purpose. All that work that's done prior to coming into a body, um, it needed to be uh, uh, done immediately prior to this coming into this life yeah yeah well, i can understand that you know in in the fact that you know some of the things that one would want to work on you know as far as you know 
soul growth um, vary, you know, depending mm-hmm. on you know, the particular lifetime um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. one would, would experience. So, I mean, in a way that makes sense. So now for some people who are listening who really um, maybe have a little difficulty with the idea that, you know, we have this whole kind of planning thing going on before our incarnation, um, what, what, you know, kind of what would you say to someone who maybe has a hard time wrapping their head around that? Well, I would just say nothing is random. Uh, it goes back to my earlier statement about blame. Um, I think if if you understood that you set up the circumstances that you're dealing with right now, um, in order that your soul will learn some lessons. Now, whether that's through the parents that you selected uh, this time because they gave you opportunities in terms of where they were living and their socioeconomical ba- uh, background, um, what kind of education were you going to have, what kind of dynamics in your family were you going to have, um, all that is carefully taken into consideration. Uh, with the eye on the prize, which is to overcome and, and resolve and heal whatever issue you still had as unfinished business from another lifetime. So that you can, if you, if you think of the earth as a school and you're coming mm-hmm. here and you're working with a council of elders, they're providing you with a curriculum. You know, yeah, I'm going to work on responsibility or I'm going to work on the issue of abandonment or I'm going to work on relationship issues. That's all planned out. And then you have uh, your little, you know, uh, your curriculum for the next lifetime. And you come to the earth as a school, and and one by one, those issues at some point in your life are going to come up for you to to deal with. Yeah, yeah. It's... uh... I I know that when I kind of first entertained that idea or, or, you know, thought about that process, my first reaction was, what the heck? There is no way I could have planned this. I know. uh, Yeah. yeah, I think that too often, believe me. And every now and then I said, did I bite up more than I could chew (laughs) with this particular one? But but it is, you know, I think that, you know, if you have that point of view, you know that it, you know we're here to just ex- expand you know the the soul's growth without judgment you know then mm-hmm. it's um that's kind of uh it makes it easier you know to go through the experiences that we go through exactly mhm right yeah so so now with the the people that that you had in your study um how did most was there any particular common elements when it came to them describing what it was like to, what it felt like to die i mean i'm sure it would be depending on the method but i mean was there any kind of um common um thread or thread yeah yeah maybe? And, and it it didn't seem to even matter how they died it was the actual experience of of um going through it um Everyone said it was painless. Everyone said it was gentle. They had a sense of freedom, a sense of release or relief. They were fully conscious at the time um, on a soul level. Uh, They said it was a positive experience. Now, some of them said that it felt like, most of them said they were just kind of floating, but some of them said they felt like they were being squeezed, like the soul was being squeezed out of the body, or it popped mm. out like they like they were given a hard yank and, and it popped out. But about 92% said that they could move around freely 
uh, at that moment. Um, most of them left immediately. You know how you've seen the near-death experiencers who say that you know that their that their soul kind of lingers over the body for right. a while. Um, right. Well, that mm-hmm. did not happen. That did not happen. And it mm. was um, with these uh, this case. And as a matter of fact, the people who had a traumatic death, like I had the one who. Uh, was a, uh, a slave um, on a southern plantation and was whipped to death. He said that he had his soul left that body before the physical death occurred so that mm. it avoided um, that kind of intense pain. And I've heard, I've, I got a similar comment from other people who had um, uh, a really uh, traumatic death. Oh wow! Okay, well I can understand that. <laughs> you know, as far as uh, <laughs> you know, my my avoidance of, of pain that would be yeah, that's good to know, I'd be right? The first one to do that. <laughs> really good to know you can do that. Um, so now, what did um, they share with you about what the afterlife looks like? Well. Um... This was also interesting. Um, They said that, uh, some of them said they just saw clouds. Um, Some of them saw uh, vivid colors, beams of white light. This was on their way to um, to the gateway. So as they're leaving the earth plane and going back into spirit, they described it as a feeling of uh, no judgment, very freeing. Um, they said there was no right or wrong. There was total equality. And many of them s- described it as swirling energy or just a shift of frequency. Um, some of them said they had a feeling that they were traveling with ease but very fast and very far. And then others just said that, that, they, were, um, that they were floating. So, uh, again, it was all... Um, it was similar hmm. to what everyone else um, said uh, when they got to their spirit home where they were going to kind of hang out. Um, you know, it seemed like uh, it was a place where it was always a perfect day. Um, you know, they described they were in a pasture in the Alps or a simple log cabin, or some of them said they were in an ancient city or a temple or a library. Um, so it was... Um, it was all uh it was similar but some focused on other aspects of it than others did you know so some would focus mm-hmm. on the colors they got so caught up in the colors that that's all that they could talk about the vivid colors or the beams of white light so it was very pleasant huh. wow so do you think that it was um the setting um or the experience was um, one of the things that I've wondered and, and thought about is that, you know, when that point of uh, moving into spirit happens mm-hmm. is that, you know, that the in- individual soul would experience something that um, would kind of support their belief system, you know, that they had when in, in physical form, so to kind of ease the, <laughs> ease the transition. Um, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Is, is that... Am I kind of off on that, or because it just seems to me that it, you know it could be a very traumatic experience otherwise. Well, they when I ask them to describe what their spirit home. So in other words, first they're going through this um, 
you know, you're leaving the earth. You're you're just newly you newly popped out of the body. You're going back into spirit. So then they described what that was like. But then when they get to the get there, you know, they have a, a home that they that sort of anchors them. It's like their foundation while they're doing their work in between lives. Um, and nearly everyone commented that they could create whatever they wanted to. All they had to think about it. All they had to do was think about it, and there it was. That's why I said when one of them saw themselves in a pasture in the Alps and another in a simple log cabin, um, one person mm-hmm. actually you know, was recreating furniture that she had in her living room at her home, and, and others were describing a familiar neighborhood. Um, and so it was just interesting how they said that this is not a big deal. I'll just think it, and there it'll be. Um, and and that's what uh that's how they each described it. Wow. So with that also with that idea of a home, um what about, you know, the idea of being, you know, greeted and met by, you know, other spirit mm-hmm. pe- you know, other, you know, spirits, you know, mm-hmm. that um, you know, kind of are there to greet you and, and yeah. kind of help you in. Well, I asked them if they saw any kind of a, a gateway or an entry portal uh, to kind of check in at. You know, you have the. Um, I was raised Catholic, and I always have this picture of St. Peter at the pearly gates, the pearly you know, with, gates. His, with his book, <laughs> yeah. and say, you go to your left, to the left, and you go to the right. <laughs> and you hope that the, whatever right. side you're on is the one you want to be on. Um, I asked them about that, uh, and mm-hmm. 52% of them said that they did see some sort of a gateway or an entry portal. But even the ones who didn't, they all said that they had some sort of a starting point. Um, and from there, um, they were greeted, um, 80, I think it was 88%, said that they were greeted by a guide of some sort. Now, um, they said that um, they, when they were greeted by this guide, they felt uh, welcomed and safe. They felt joy that they were reconnecting. There was compassionate love. They did recognize the guide from having known them before. Now, some of them were never in physical form. They were always their guide. On the, like, it's like having a guardian angel, so you're meeting your angel on the other side. Um, some of them were waiting. Some of the guides were waiting for them. Others, uh, they had to go and, and look for them. Uh, and um, but but everyone said they instinctively knew where they had to go. That was um, that was a very common uh, experience. And from there, uh, they went off. Some of them, uh, 84% went to a um, orientation session, which is basically a debriefing of the soul. In other words, they're going. To, to talk to this guide that met them about the life that they just led, um, to talk about it. Uh, and so they they have a conversation, they, they have a welcome message that they get, and then they have a, some of them had a conversation. Um, and they talked about, um, you know, what had happened in the previous life. And this gave the soul a, a sense of, a, a chance to ask questions, like why, why did that happen? Or I feel like I just, you know, miss the mark on that, and so it's a very, uh, they get a little TLC at this point um, from their guides to tell them, oh, it was fine, everything was okay, you know, you did a good job. You know, that, this so much reminds me of the, the movie Defending Your Life with Meryl yes. Streep, and, well, and I love that uh, movie. you know, <laughs> me too, but you know, when you're talking about, you know, 
or sometimes the guide was there, sometimes they had to look for it, you know, and it's yeah. like, you know, Meryl Streep's was right there, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Albert Brooks, they had to go searching for it. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, right, right. I mean, but uh, to me, it sounds very much like that. I mean, because, um, like in that movie, you know, you have that, that life review, but it's also done, supposed to be done, without judgment, you know, as exactly. far as what the goals were. Exactly, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to take just a, a real quick break, Joanne, and I do okay. want to invite listeners, if you want to call in, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to um, type them in there. And then uh, when we come back, um, I want to kind of talk a, a bit about the, the Council of Elders mm-hmm. and um, what that's all about, okay? Okay, sure. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today my very special guest is Joanne DiMaggio, and we are talking about her new book, I Did It to Myself Again, New Life Between Lives, Case Studies, show how your soul's contract is guiding your life. Again, for more information, you can visit her website, which is joannedimaggio.com. That's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. Okay, so with that, we're back, Joanne. Nice to be back. Great, thanks. Okay, so the Council of Elders. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us about who they are. Okay, well, they're a group of wise beings and ascended masters who've been with you since the beginning. As I mentioned earlier, some incarnate in past lives with you, while others have always been in spirit. And they're the ones who review your progress. So they're like the guidance counselors at school that I mentioned earlier. Um, And they have their eyes on the bigger prize of you completing your earthly sojourn and then you graduating. And most of them appear as ordinary people. Um, Others take on the form of biblical characters or animals or nature spirits. But they're all loving and non-judgmental. They know exactly what are the issues that we're working on, sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so there's no getting around the truth uh, with them. They 
they do not show any impatience, but they work with us to find solutions. And so working with them, we're able to make a list of karmic issues and attributes and then design the next life accordingly. And then often the elders will give valuable life advice before sending the soul on its way. And um, so I, one of the questions I asked in this in this uh, section was, uh, what does the council chamber look like? Um, how many elders do you see? What do they look like? Do they have names? Um, are they male, female, or androgynous? Uh, and uh, that was fascinating. People saw between 5 and 20. That's a lot. 20 elders is quite a bit. Wow. Normally no more than <laughs> five, to, 5 to 10. Um, and Michael Newton in his work said that nobody, none of his subjects ever saw a biblical character. My group saw them um, almost without exception. They would see hmm. Mary or Jesus or Mary Magdalene or Moses or uh, they'd see an angel um, on their council. Uh, and But mostly they appeared as um, uh, both men and women, as I said, and uh, some just were like beams of light, but others took on the uh, characteristics of a, of a nature spirit. Um, so it was uh, it was very fascinating. At first, they they all said that the council chamber reminded them of a courtroom, uh, and that the, mm. the the council of elders was like a jury. But there is no judgment during this period. There there's no everybody is equal. There's no right or wrong. Nobody's gonna yell at you for screwing up that last lifetime. Um <laughs> so it's 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 a very loving, uh compassionate uh experience, um, regardless of what that particular room looks like. A lot of them said they saw gray haired old men with beards and robes, you know, again because the mind is creating um images that correspond mm-hmm. to what you may think um you know an elder an elder may look like so they'll appear to you the way you can both best process it so though it was it was interesting because a lot of them had different names um some of them were really um were ordinary names but uh others were um kind of silly and we would laugh um uh, so it was. It was. Uh, it was probably the most interesting aspect of the study. Yeah, I mean, it, it is to me. It, it's fascinating. And it sounds like um, maybe the way that they you know, presented themselves. It's kind of like they had um, their own specialty <laughs> in a way. It's like, yeah, you know, exactly. We're going right. to teach you about responsibility. And I'm, a, I'm like, you know, a little council person um, that's going to kind of help you with that one, you know. Yeah. Um, it, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. And, you know, and one of the things when I, when I was reading through one of the case studies, um, I believe it was Amy. Um, she had a the title of her, her contribution story was Paying a Debt. Um, and, and in that particular one, you know, it, she talked about the um, the council chamber, and, and then that that male, female, and androgynous. And and the one thing I like about your books is a lot of times you can find little, the reader can find little gems that kind of just pop out. It's like, oh, I can relate to that. <laughs> um, and then that that was one of those for me because I had 
as a child had many, many flying dreams. And um, when it came time to describing who I met, you know, in this particular yellow field, um, it was the, the foremost was male, the, the one further out was female, and the, the farthest one was androgynous, you, know, you know, but it was like, at the time when I described it, it was like not male or female, you know, so, but I mean, it, yeah, was, I, um, it was, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I had one who who shocked me when she said that it was a, looked like a whale, and I thought, a whale? How could that be? That's, you know, because um, you know everybody when they do these sessions with me, whether it's just the past life, part of the life between life, their their biggest concern is that they're making all this up, and I assure them that they're not. You know, um, and then when the whole ses- session's over, then I ask them, I said, would you have made up a story like that? Uh, and they say no, <laughs> especially the ones who are clients. I said, did you did you think about this story before you came here and decided you were going to take up two or three hours of my time, pay me to listen to this story when you knew it wasn't true? No, no, no. So, um, so no, it, it's they're not making it up. But it, but it's some of the, and I think with her is that water, uh, water was really important to her. Swimming was important to her. It was almost like a sacred. Uh, meditation for her when she was swimming and so it made sense to her in her mind's eye to have to have a spirit guide mm-hmm. in in the um a totem almost uh in in the guise of a whale uh now i have a hard time picturing a whale sitting behind a, a council desk <laughs> but you know but uh you know yeah because uh it, it was just like i said this part of it it was uh they were all over the all over the board. I had one who said that the uh, one of the one of the council members reminded him of that little boy that the Dutch boy that puts his thumb in the dam. Uh, the dike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so they were comparing it to to uh, to those kinds of uh, characters. Um, so I, I thought, but most of them, most of them by far, uh, you know, said that um, like. Over 50% said that they identified a male, and 32% said they identified a female. So, the majority of them appeared to them as um, human beings, like 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 you know we are. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and to me, and when you talk about the whale, you know, the idea uh, when you when one thinks of a, a whale, and you know, it's just its majesty, its freedom, you know, in the water, and and just I mean, there are a lot of. Um, aspect to that energy that I could see, you know, that would, um, could be a contributing factor to what, what, uh, what one's experiences. Oh, exactly. I think that they were, um, you know, even the, um, the whole idea of the elders when the ones that were seeing them with the, the, uh, gray haired men with beards, um, in a robe, it's because there's this to them in their mind's eye is equating wisdom uh you know an older sage uh, who's who's providing them with guidance uh the robes again would be the the judgment part of it although there wasn't any judgment part but in, but you i think they're thinking i'm appearing before this group of people and they're going to look at my mm-hmm. my report card from my past lives and so there might be some judgment there but yeah they they would um uh not everything was as it seemed a lot of it was symbolic yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, and and just 
um, when we think about our dream state and, and how communication, how we receive communication. So, so many times it's, it's through symbolism, you know, and, and um, words and, I mean, uh, and impressions, you know, and feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you also asked each person to define what their soul's mission would be in the next life. So exactly. tell us about, tell us about, um, because you, when you say you know we we we, we transfer we, we die we um, transition we go before the um, council of elders we kind of do that little life in review um, mm-hmm. and then plan for the next one. So my my thought is like again. <laughs> I know. Again. <laughs> well, you have that option. You know, you can hang out if you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I got rid of but um, but the, the, but then is that when the quote, mission for a next lifetime is established, or how, how does that, how does it fit into well, number one, it, one's current one, and then the next? Yeah, at this point in time, you've already worked with the elders, so you've outlined what your karmic issues are that you want to work on, and you already know what your karmic attributes are. So karmic issues are things like anger or guilt or forgiveness or uh, humility, authenticity, things like that, that that you were working on from your prior lifetime. That's why I had said earlier it's important to visit that lifetime first. Karmic attributes are things, are, are traits and skills and abilities that you've earned over all of your lifetimes, and those are yours forever. So if I could put in a karmic bank account, you could pull on them anytime. And these attributes are there to help you work on the karmic issues. So karmic attribute would be something like uh, uh, leadership ability or intuition or healing ability or compassion and empathy. Um, so you've listed those, and, and in the book I've I've listed what each participant said. So at this point then, um, so you know what those are, and you know what you, you can then – determine what your soul's mission is. And I use the Edgar Cayce material on ideals in helping people to understand uh, what that is. So Cayce had said that an ideal was something beyond and above us to which we build. So an ideal would represent our Mm -hmm. highest value. And then it lays the groundwork for everything that motivates us. Um, It becomes like our soul's GPS system. So mm-hmm. I asked them at this point, okay, then tell me what is your soul's based on everything that we've discussed and everything that you've come to learn, what is your soul's mission? And they would say things like to be a light on the path or to be a teacher of peace or to help guide others in their healing or spread unconditional love or um you know, those uh, they were very easily able to define that. So um that was a big help to them because now they had the answer to why am I here? Why am I in this world right now? And I was just writing an article this morning about why are we here now during this pandemic? Cause a lot of mm-hmm. people are wondering why, why is my soul here now? Um, and I, and when I looked at the list of the soul's mission from just from this one research project, everything that they listed were things that we really desperately need right now. So we need light on the path. We need teachers of peace. We need uh, 
people spreading unconditional love or helping people live within challenges. So all of this was fascinating to me because unbeknownst to them in setting up this life, because they did not know at the time they set this life up that they were going to be in the middle of a pandemic at some point. Uh, So, um, but it's interesting to me that everything that they said that they wanted to accomplish in this life is something that we desperately need at this point in time. So that gave me a great deal of uh, hope and um, inspired me tremendously. Yeah, that would be, you know, and, you know, having that clarity of mission, you know, kind of, um, and it's from what you said, you know, each of them, it's just a very simple kind of mission that can, and when you think about it, it can be implemented in just, you know, innumerable number of ways, you know, mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. implement that, that mission. So, um, you know, it, it's um, uh, kind of easy to see how, you know, we can have so many different paths, but still have a, a, a common goal in, in mind. Exactly. Um, they all, they were, we're yeah. all connected to each other. Um, we're all intertwined. So working in concert with one another, we accomplish, we can accomplish great things. Yeah. Now we, we kind of made a little talk about, um, you know, the soul family and, mm-hmm. and connections and selecting your parents and other, mm-hmm. other things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, do we, um, do we have kind of a certain set um, or is this kind of like an extended family situation where, you know, it's kind of a, you pull from a large group in order to be able to work on this particular time? Right. Well, we travel together as a sole family. So we travel in pods and in each lifetime we change roles we change our sex, um, and so in this life, your mother may have been your brother in a previous life, or your sister in this life may have been an uncle in a previous life. So the another of the important elements of this working between lives is that we take the time to select who we want as our mother and who we want as our father. When I tell people that, they, they sort of freak out because, you know, I can't possibly have chosen that person for my mother. Um, and I love to use that on my own children. Well, you picked me, kids, you know. Um, so uh, the criteria for choosing parents, you know, they look at have they been with you before and if they were in a previous life, what role were they playing? Um, some of them came as a package deal. So if you choose one, you get the other. Uh, or sometimes they were individually, uh, you could, you know, I want this mother, and this mother is coming with this father. Um, what opportunities for growth do they provide that if you had another set, different set of parents, you would not experience? Um, what lesson are you going to learn dealing with them that wouldn't have been possible if you had other parents? Are they teaching you something, or are you teaching them? So I asked each one, okay, uh, who did you choose for your mother? And I said, what's her name in this life? Was she with you before? Um, uh, Many of them could not identify that aspect of it, um, unless they had worked Mm. on their past lives quite a bit. Um, What role is she playing? Why did you pick her? 
the same thing with the father. Why did you pick him? What what are you learning from him? And then after they tell me that, then I'll say, did they fulfill that uh, expectation on your part? And every single one of them said, yes, absolutely, they were the right parents. So then you extend that a little bit to our soul family, and they're coming in as family members or friends or colleagues. They're sort of part of our tribe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, they they understand what you want to work on. They know your soul's mission in the next life, and they come forward one by one, and they'll say, I'll come with you. And when I come with you, I'm going to be your sister. And when I'm your sister, I'm going to teach you patience, or I'm going to teach you unconditional love, or I'm going to teach you um, how to deal with greed or, or jealousy or or whatever, um, or I'm going to come in to be a support system for you. I'm going to be there uh, as a loving part of your life. Um, I think this is important for the inner work that we do because when you stop to think that all the people in your life, including and especially the ones that give you a hard time, the ones that may have caused you some hardship, heartache in this life, they came because they love your soul, uh, unconditionally and they wanted to assist you to learn the lessons that you set out to learn and so if you're going to work on abandonment they may say okay i'm going to come in with you and at some point in your life i'm going to abandon you and you'll have Mm -hmm. you know you'll you'll work on that or acceptance and approval If, if that's your issue then they'll say okay i'll come in with you but I will never accept you. I will never approve of you. And what would be the reason for that? To teach you that acceptance and approval comes from within and from above. You don't need outside validation. So it's all beautifully intertwined, and it's just so exquisite the way the universe um, has has worked this out uh, to enable us to learn, to be our highest and our best, and to to move on. So um, that's an important element that... that, uh, that we deal with when we're uh, making our plans for the future. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a thread in a tapestry, you know, that yeah, you kind of exactly. create this really mm-hmm. big thing. Now, um, with um, when we uh, go ahead and um, set up this agreement, you know, that I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. help you work on this particular thing, mm-hmm. it, it, I would think that it would be set up as a mutually beneficial um, situation where the the other person also is going to gain something from that connection. Right, correct? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because we have a con- we have a karmic contract between the two of us. So um, the, being incarnated at the same time helps us to work on each of our issues. Because um, we're presented with challenges and hardships, or we're given support or encouragement. Um, and, um, you know, we have memory triggers, too, that we, where we can recognize each other. We could recognize this is a soul I've known before. Um, and often our presence in their life is teaching them a major lesson. So it's not always that we needed them in our life to teach us something. It could be that they needed us. And, uh, again, it's just this beautiful, um, intricately designed uh, symbiotic relationship that um, on a soul level benefits everyone. Yeah. In in regarding memory triggers, you know, Mm -hmm. is this this something that when it it happens, you just have um, 
like an, an innate knowing, um, maybe a connection that, that just doesn't make sense? Yeah, it's um, so memory triggers are intangible impressions on our soul, and they're there to remind us of a prior lifetime and the souls who shared it with us. Now, the most common memory trigger that people indicated was deja vu. That's mm. that you know, inexplicable feeling of having been somewhere before or having known someone before, but you don't remember where or when. Um, but there are other memory triggers that we're given, and, and we're given these right before we come into physical existence, so right before we're ready to go to the exit portal to come back to Earth, to come into the womb of the woman we chose as our mother. We're given these memory triggers, um, and some of them would be um, a love of a certain place or, you know, a certain country if you've ever been anywhere we thought I, I know I've been here before but you but you haven't this happens really mm-hmm. with a lot with historic locales that happened to me when I first came to Virginia um, a love of certain time periods um, certain flowers religious rites uh, can trigger some memories um, our unity church here in Charlottesville has a uh, uh, sacred chanting uh, once a month and boy does that take me to places I haven't been to in a long time. Um, but others yeah. are um, music and film or books or certain animals or colors or numbers. Then you have your senses, you know, touch, smell, sound. Looking into somebody's eyes can be a memory trigger because, you know, you've heard the expression, eyes are the windows of the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's how we recognize each other. So those memory triggers just enable us to rekindle memories of the lifetime that we're working on now. And so they sort of give us a jump start. Uh, you know, on our way to um, spiritual evolution, because we're they're they're just little helpful helpful hints about uh, a lifetime that we had before, reminding us uh, of our journey. Okay, so you it's one of those cases where you may not um, necessarily have a like a clear memory of it, but it but there's something that is familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's um, okay. Okay. it's that deja vu feeling. Um, yeah. okay. You know, you hear a certain piece of music, and it you're you're taken away. You're you're thinking about something differently. You may resonate to a certain time period, like I resonate to the 18th century, um, and I have always since I was a child. Uh, so uh, you just kind of play detective, and you look at the things that you're drawn to. Um, for no logical reason, uh, you know, the way you decorate your home, the, the places you go to on vacation, different foods, these are all little tidbits, little reminders of, of that that have their origins in a prior lifetime. Okay. Wow. So now um, we talked about, you know, how we would, you know, kind of, select our little soul family or soul mm-hmm. contracts. Now, that's kind of like on that uh, spiritual or soul-expanding level, but on the very practical level of selecting one's body, the actual mm-hmm. incarnation, um, is that is that one of those random occurrences or is it just too Nothing random. Do <laughs> you remember in Defending Your Life when that one person, woman sees yeah. herself as a sumo wrestler and just starts screaming? Yeah, that's kind of yeah. like this. Um, uh, first of all, um, it's very rare to return to a biological family. So 
Dr. Newton even Hmm. said that. He said it's uh, the former bodies we had in prior lives are almost never genetically related to our current family. Um, So that's one thing to remember. So it's uh, quite a feat for all of us in our soul family to find a different biological family to come into together or to be in in proximity of each other. Um, We all have male and female qualities, but we tend to pick one sex over the other about 75% of the time. If you have a tendency to be uh, a male, 75% of the time that's what you'll pick. Um, Same thing with females. Um, Edgar Cayce said that gender is based on what souls uh, want to accomplish. Um, So we select a body for the challenges or the privileges that it gives us. A lot of women say they want to be female again because of the experience of giving birth. And then they also feel sometimes that a female body can be more nurturing and healing, whereas males um, want to feel that sense of strength and and power uh, versus being weak and powerless. So um, when I have men coming to me for regressions, they resist the um, when they when they see with, if they were male or female in a previous lifetime, I get a lot of resistance if they see female. Whereas the women don't have any problem at all seeing a male body, seeing themselves in a male body. Um, hmm. But um, but anyway, sometimes we pick a body that was close to the previous body we had. I had several in my in my group who said that um, they liked the body that they had before, so they were going to pick a body that was going to um, be as close to oh. that as possible. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So some of them really said that they, they picked them. You, you know, it gave me a, an a impression of a dry cleaner where when when it spins around with all the clothes on it, it was like, you know, bodies were spinning around and you're picking one. That's just the <laughs> image that I had when, when we were talking about this. Of course, that's not what, what they were seeing, but that's what I was projecting, I think, onto them. So, um, so it's very interesting um, about the entire process. And, you know, if you want an athletic body, because you know that you're going to be doing a lot of things outside, you, you, you gravitate toward that body. So um, almost everyone said they were happy with the body that they chose. A few... A few didn't, um, but for the most part, um, everyone was pleased. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe for those who weren't happy, the, the whole idea of body image and, and its body uh, awareness isn't it was one of those lessons to be learned. Yeah, know? that's why I get such a kick out of people are so into the DNA testing now. Um, but. Um, since we don't return to the same biological family, uh, you know, if you want a DNA test of your soul, you're going to need to do a little bit more than swabbing your cheek. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to see where that uh, processing plant is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> those results. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, my goodness. Well, uh, let's. I had to have one one last question, and that would be out of you know, you've been doing this work for a very long time. And so out of the, you know, the 25 um, participants in this particular study, um, what, can you maybe identify one or maybe two, um, two uh, insights that kind of really popped up to you, you know, based on, you know, things that maybe you hadn't previously known or experienced or maybe were a surprise? Hmm, that's hard. Um, there were no surprises, but because I've been doing this so long that I just don't um, 
you know, nothing really surprised me. <laughs> but, uh, but I did have some that I thought were exceedingly uh, interesting. In in Mark, for instance, he's a uh, an attorney in this life, and he was an African woman. He was captured and enslaved on a Georgia plantation in the 1800s and was sexually abused. And um, and then that's, that's the individual I mentioned had been whipped to death. Um, he became an attorney in this life and was working on civil rights issues. Um, mm. So he's male in this life, but fem- male, white, a Caucasian male in this life, and yet the past life that he's most working on now was the one in which he had been um, that enslaved African woman. Um, Meg is another one. Um, she returned to a life. She said she was a priestess during the time of Atlantis, which that's also unusual to have anybody say they were in Atlantis. I've, I can count on one hand the number of people over the years that have actually described a lifetime there. But she had a uh, she was gifted with a beautiful singing voice, but she misused it, and um, and so um, now she's dealing with the resulting karma in this life, in that she she came back with that beautiful voice, but she she cannot use it for any purposes other than um, healing people. So she can't uh, pursue it as a career. Yeah. Um, which is the karmic consequences of um, of that other lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, there were quite a few others, but those are the two that stand out. Wow. Well, it it was a fascinating read, uh, Joanne. Like all your books are, and, and I really you. enjoyed it. It was it was a really easy read. So, um, I really want to thank you for your time today. I, I always enjoy speaking with you and, and reading your books, and it's it's been a pleasure to have you back on the show. Same here, Robert. I uh, hope I, we could do it sooner than four years from now. <laughs> I have to get writing. <laughs> that, would be good. that would be great. Well, okay. thank you very much. And, thank and, you. Uh, we, we'll talk again soon. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, everyone, again today my very special guest has been Joanne DiMaggio. We've been talking about her new book, I Did It to Myself Again. New Life Between Lives case studies show how your soul's contract is guiding your life. And again, you can find out more by visiting Joanne's website, which is joannedimaggio.com, and that's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.